Well, I want to uh, welcome all of you that are online, and you've already noticed the staging is different this week because of a tremendous production we've had this weekend called The Thorn, and I want to encourage you, if you haven't seen it yet, go online and get your tickets. It is an amazing experience, and hundreds of people in our church sacrificed many hours to make that possible, and so if you're a part of that team from the bottom of my heart, I thank you because I was personally blessed, and I know you blessed thousands of others. I also want to commend all of you that are joining our One Million Chapter uh, Challenge. Uh, it's exciting to see the comments on the website. Uh, two clarifications. One sister told me last week she hasn't been recording her chapters because she's not doing the church reading plan. Well, the church does not have a reading plan. We have some suggested plans on the website. But whatever your plan is, whatever you want to do, do it. Uh, That includes if you listen to Scripture. Maybe on your commute you listen to the audio Bible. As long as those chapters are getting in you, we want you to be a part of what we're doing. And can I encourage you sometime during this year, would you go back and read the Gospels again? Would you just immerse yourself again in the story that this weekend has reminded us is the greatest story ever? But, what if that story had a different ending? What if you were reading one of the Gospels and the last verse was this? There they laid Jesus and rolled a great stone at the mouth of the sepulcher and departed. That's how Thomas Jefferson's Bible ended. Jefferson, like a lot of the founding fathers of our nation, were deists. They believed in some generic higher power, but they did not believe this God intervened in the affairs of men. And so when Jefferson read the gospel, he literally took out of his Bible the virgin birth, all the miracles, and especially the resurrection. And so when he read the story of Jesus, Jesus dies, they put him in a cave, they roll the stone over, end of story. And if the story ended right there, we wouldn't be right here. What impacted the world was a movement begun by a few Jewish peasants empowered by a resurrection. And Paul says in Romans 1 that Jesus was shown with great power. To be the Son of God by being raised from death. I contend that Easter is the most powerful event in history. And when you read Acts, the preaching of the resurrection dominates the story. So in Acts chapter 2, the very first gospel sermon, not once but twice, Peter declares God raised him from the dead and quotes scripture to prove it. Then in chapter 3, when they heal a lame man and a crowd gathers, two times Peter specifically says, God raised him from the dead. Then in chapter 4, it says the authorities were disturbed that they were preaching resurrection. So they arrested Peter and John. And Peter again says very boldly, you killed him. But God raised him from the dead. And when they preached resurrection, they weren't just announcing an event. They were inviting people to 
and experience. Because the resurrection unleashed a powerful new reality. Because in the resurrection of Jesus, God was launching an assault against the powers that be. Now, to illustrate that, I'm going to go old school on you. How many of you are old enough to remember that when your dad was watching TV and said, where's the remote? He was talking about you, okay? Well, I'm going to tell you about a TV show from that era, okay? How many of you recognize this picture? Okay, that is a TV show called The Dukes of Hazard. And if you are a young person, you don't know what that show was about. Well, you see that car in the air? That's what that show was about. Every show had the same plot. Bo and Luke Duke were on the run from Sheriff Roscoe P. Coltrane, and they would drive hard. They would go airborne a couple of times, and they would reach the Hazard County line. And then they would stop the General Lee and get out and look redneck handsome. While Sheriff Coltrane would be frustrated because they had escaped his jurisdiction. They had entered into a new realm where his power over them no longer applied. Now believe it or not, that has a spiritual application. (laughs) The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. The Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. And only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. You see, what God is doing in the death and in the resurrection of Jesus is he is announcing that the powers that be are now the powers that were. That when you enter into the death and resurrection of Jesus, you are ushered into a new dominion, a new kingdom, a new realm, and you're not under the jurisdiction that once kept you as a slave. You see, this is not just a doctrine to believe. This is a dynamic to receive. You have entered into a powerful new reality. And so Paul prays in Ephesians 1, I want you to understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe Him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. See, we were not meant to live in our own power. And the mission that Jesus gave us to change the world simply cannot be done in our own strength. That's why the story of Acts starts before Jesus ever sends them into the world with these words. You will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. And so the book of Acts and especially chapter 5 where we're going to be today is a clear picture of the unleashed power of the church on mission. And it shows us what happens when resurrection power 
hits the street. And the first thing we're going to see is that resurrection power means my condition is not hopeless. It says in Acts 5 verse 12, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. A few verses later, it says crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits. And all of them were healed. You see, when you live in the power of the risen Christ, the things that are no longer have to stay that way. The open tomb has opened up possibilities to break the power of status quo. Now that's why the church did and that's why the church does and always will believe in the healing power of Jesus. Because when people are healed... It is a testimony to the world that the resurrection of Jesus has hit the street. Now, I know not everyone who prays to Jesus gets healed. I can show you people in the New Testament that did not. It's not always Jesus' will to heal, but it is always His will that we ask Him to. Because it is a testimony that we believe in resurrection power. If the tomb is empty, our hope tank ought to be full. And by the way, the healing power of Jesus goes beyond just physical healing. People that were filled with impure spirits received healing. There's all kinds of healing that we need. Some of you need healing in your body. Some of you need healing in your spirit. Because there's something broken inside. Some of you need healing in your marriage. You have let status quo have too much power. Some of you need healing in that area of life where you feel in bondage and out of control. See, all these areas of brokenness exist because sin is in the world. But here's what you need to understand. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we don't live... In the jurisdiction of the power of sin anymore. And so Paul could say in Romans. When we died with Christ. We were set free. From the power of sin. Now I'm not a professional counselor. I don't have any counseling degrees. I do a lot of counseling. And the question I probably ask more than any other. When someone tells me their marriage is hopeless. When someone tells me their struggle is useless. When someone tells me that things just can't change, my question is, do you believe in Easter? Do you think it really happened? Do you think a dead man actually walked out of a tomb and is still alive today? If you say yes, then you must believe that nothing's hopeless, that anything can change. The status quo doesn't have to have the say. I believe healings are a preview of coming attractions. I believe they are a foretaste of the day when all brokenness is going to surrender to the power of God. At the end of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, 
the Hobbit Skemji is surprised to find that Gandalf is still alive. He says, I thought you were dead. And then Tolkien has him have this brilliant line where he says, Is everything sad going to come untrue? And the answer is yes. Because we live in a powerful new reality. And if that is your conviction, then the current powers that be cannot intimidate you anymore. Which means then my witness can be fearless. Now we're going to read one of my favorite parts of the book of Acts and what I think is one of the funniest parts of the Bible. Verse 17 Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. Now, you know, the Sadducees were the smaller of the dominant ruling parties of the Jewish people. They only believed in the first five books of the Bible. They were rich. They had power. And they had no use for the supernatural. The Sadducees did not believe in angels. The Sadducees did not believe that resurrection was coming. Now let's keep reading. Don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new light. Now, How awesome is it that God used the angel that they do not believe in to get them out of the jail they wanted them to stay in. God could have used an earthquake. God could have used anything he wanted. But he sent an angel. And how awkward was it the next morning then when they come in for court. They say, go get the prisoners. And there are these guards standing at strict attention in front of a cell that nobody's in. And they have to come back and tell the Sanhedrin, well, um, they're gone. You open the door? No. What happened? I don't know. Do you get the point? Their unbelief is not due to a lack of evidence. The empty tomb of Jesus, the healings on the street, prisoners that just disappear from a jail. People don't refuse Christ because there's not evidence to believe in Him. They refuse Christ because they don't want to give up their self-power. They want to keep their control. But you see, God's angel power can trump their arrest power. And I do believe God sends angels. And folks, I'm going to just tell you, side point, when we get to glory, we are going to be stunned at how much angelic intervention there was in our lives we didn't know about. The enemy wants to kill and destroy And you have no idea what God has prevented in your life by angels that you couldn't see. But, when God opens doors, it's not just to let people out. It is to get His Word out. So the angel says, go and tell the people all about this new life. In other words, go And do some more of what got you in jail in the first place. 
And so, verse 25, someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. And at that, the captains went with his officers and brought the apostles. And they didn't use force because they feared the people would stone them. Now, that's important. The disciples are practicing the non-violent teachings of Jesus. This is a moment where all they had to do was say a word and the people would have rioted. And it's always been a temptation for Christians to say, we are going to fight the powers that be with the power of the world. We'll just fight a better war. We'll just buy bigger guns. And we will force you to accept Jesus. And that's never been Jesus' way. Jesus told the disciples, they're going to arrest you. They're going to throw you in court, in jail. Here's what you're going to say. So the disciples just figured, well, he wanted us to preach on the street, so we went to the street. Now we're getting arrested, so he wants us to preach in court. So let's go back to court. And they go back to court. And what do the uh, officials say? Verse 28, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Now, listen to me. I totally understand that our walk has to match our talk. I totally understand it doesn't matter what we say. If we live like jerks, no one's going to accept the gospel. But listen to me. Let's get rid of this notion that we can just be nice people and do nice things and people are going to come to Christ. The Christian faith survives because of verbal testimony. They didn't arrest the disciples for feeding the poor. They did not arrest the disciples for healing the sick. They arrested the disciples for talking Jesus. And it will always be the strategy of the powers that be to shut down talk about Jesus. And so Peter and the disciples, they look up at the court and they say, Hey, we heard you yesterday. We know what you want, okay? But we must obey God rather than human beings. Who's in charge here? The people on the court have the power, but they have no influence. They have no leverage. Because the disciples' passion for proclaiming Christ has exceeded their passion for protecting themselves. And you have no power over the Christian who is sold out to Christ no matter what it costs him. In the early days of the church, there was a father named Tertullian. And many of the Christians in his flock made their living selling and building shrines that the pagans would worship and call gods. And they said to Tertullian, well, now we don't bow down to these shrines. We don't worship these shrines. But somebody's going to sell them. It might as well be us. After all, we must live. And Tertullian replied, must we live? What's the guiding must of your life? Because you'll make your choices based on what your guiding must is. Is it to be popular? Is it to be rich? Is it to stay out of trouble with the powers that be? And what these disciples are saying is living is not 
a must. Staying faithful is our must. We live in strange times. Our great-grandparents would never have imagined a day when it would be legal to take the life of an unborn child. The powers that be say that's legal, but that doesn't make it right. They wouldn't have imagined a day where we would package filth and smut and call it entertainment. And the powers that be say that's okay. I think we're heading to a time in our country where the definition of marriage, which for centuries in every single culture has been consistent, a marriage is one man and one woman for one lifetime. And now people in power are going to say, we're changing that definition and it'll be legal. But that doesn't make it right. And the church is going to have to decide which court do we answer to the most. Now this is not a call to be ugly. This is not a call to use worldly power to fight worldly power. This might mean the day is coming when more Christians are going to go to jail. When what we say might be called illegal by the powers that be. And we're going to have to decide what is our first must. Jesus said, they will take you before the courts and they will throw you in the jails. He did not promise a life without struggle. He promised he would redeem those struggles. And resurrection power means my suffering is not meaningless. I want you to look at chapter 5 verse 40 with me. There's a guy named Gamaliel. And he says, guys, we've seen these movements come and go and and they typically fail. But what if God is in this? What, What if God is Blessing this. We don't want to be fighting God. It says, verse 40, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. That's just a simple word, but it's not a simple thing. They took bone and glass and rock tied to straps of leather and ripped their backs open. And they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. And this is a critical moment in history because the church has never faced physical violence before. What's the response going to be? It says the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Somehow they knew their suffering was not meaningless. That Jesus was going to redeem it. And and you may not be able to understand how people can rejoice when they suffer. But you have to agree, it is powerfully impacting to watch people do it. Jesus promised suffering, and he promised to use it. Remember, Saul on his way to Damascus, and Jesus meets him and then tells Ananias to go to him. And he says, now that guy, I am going to use him powerfully. 
He's going to reach Gentiles. He's going to take the gospel to places it's never been. But then Jesus said, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. You see, in the early days, you were told at the start, if you follow Jesus, you may have to suffer. And nobody says that anymore at the start. And part of the problem is that we're not being told that problems are a part of following Jesus. We follow a man that chose a cross. But resurrection power enables us to accept that path with joy. There's this stunning verse in Colossians 1 where Paul says, I'm happy in my sufferings for you. There are things that Christ must still suffer through his body, the church. And I'm accepting in my body my part of these things that must be suffered. Now, what does he mean? Christ must still suffer. Another verse says, I want to make up what's lacking in the afflictions of Christ. No, everything Christ needed to suffer on the cross to complete salvation is done, okay? But what is not yet finished is the work of telling the world the work that Jesus finished on the cross. And doing that is going to come with joyful suffering. And the way God is going to use our wounds is so powerful. So I have a friend, he pastors a Christ church in San Dimas, California. His name is Jeff Vines. When he was 23, he was a missionary in Zimbabwe. He was told, try to reach the leader, to reach the people. But Chief Mushanga had no interest in the things of God. He kept to his tribal religions. It's Saturday morning, Jeff gets a knock on his door. And a young man says, Pastor Jeff, come to the hospital. Varese was hurt. In a rugby accident, the doctors don't think he will live. Varese was Chief Mashanga's beloved son. Jeff rushes to the hospital. The whole tribe is there in much mourning. And there is Chief Mashanga. And he says to Jeff, If this God you worship is so powerful and loving, tell him to heal my son. And at first, Jeff was like, God, what are you doing? But then all of a sudden, oh, God, I get it, I get it, right? You're going to heal Varese, and he's going to reach the chief. I get it, God. And so for three hours, Jeff prayed over that boy. And when I say three hours, I know Jeff. He prayed for three hours for God to show up and do his thing. And Varese died. And all the people mourned. And all the way back home, Jeff is thinking, God, how could you? How could you let me down like this? And so the next day at church, the people are there, the place is packed. He's 10 minutes into a numb sermon, and the door opens, and Chief Mashanga walks in. He's never been to church before. He walks to the very front, says to Jeff, could I have a word with my people? And when the chief says, I want a word with my people, you give the chief a word. And Jeff sat down, put his head between his hands, and gets over. I as well pack my bags and go home. This mission is destroyed. And Chief Machanga said, people of Green Tree Christian Church, I do not know about this God you worship, but I do know this. Ever since my son became one of you, he's been a better son, a better student, a better man. And whatever it was you gave to him, could you give that to me too? And revival broke out, and the power of God 
was unleashed. Because resurrection means a story can always end well. A lot of people are listening to me right now that believe everything I've said. But you're living a leashed version of the faith. And the powers that be and status quo is running your life more than Jesus. And I don't want you just to believe the resurrection in your head. I want you to pray what Paul prayed in Philippians 3. I want to know Christ. And I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Is there a part of your life where the powers that be are trying to take over? Well, the risen Christ can overpower anything. Anything. Addiction. A dull marriage, infidelity, depression, grief, sin. I'm working hard up here. Would somebody say amen to this? The risen Christ can overpower anything. You don't have to accept a lousy end to your story. And so, just over five years ago, my dear friends... Rick and Beverly Ross are walking out of the hospital in Grapevine. Their beloved daughter, Jenny Bazillion, just 31 years old, has died. Her funeral was right here in this room. As they walk to the car, Beverly says to Rick, Tell me what we believe. What do we believe? And Rick says, The tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. It's empty. We trusted that power once. Do you remember when you were baptized? The Bible says you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with Him, you were raised to new life because you trusted in the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Maybe We need to trust that power again. Bow your heads, please. Oh, God, in every one of our lives, there's a place where the powers that be are trying to take over. And we are asking for a fresh unleashing of resurrection power. For a new and real experience of the presence of the living Christ overpowering any part of our life, not surrendering to Him. We know, God, that scars and struggles are going to be a part of this journey. But we believe that the story can end well and that every victory we have is because of Your power in us. So we claim that for Jesus' sake right now amen let's all stand and so upstairs and downstairs elders are going to be present this is a good day for you to come and ask for prayer for power it's a good day for you to come and trust power by getting baptized while we worship the lord